The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. You're a first-time guest here with us today. We're glad you're here with us. Hope you'll connect with a connection card. Let us know who you are and that you came today. Um, we'd be encouraged by that, and we'll pray for you as you decide if maybe this might be home for you. We hope it is, and um, we're encouraged by how the Lord has been moving. You know, when you think about life, it's really just about exchanging. Um, we're, we're constantly exchanging our time um, for something. Um, whatever you did yesterday was an exchange for something that you experienced. I, I, was, and I was thinking about this a little bit. I, I have a couple of prevailing thoughts that happened to me when I mow. And, you know, I, I've not had to mow for a while because I've had boys that mowed, and now they've, you know, they're, they're both older and they have jobs, and so I'm finding myself in this mow zone again. Um, and one prevailing thought I have is, why do we do this? Like, this is so dumb. We're just like, so I exchange my time for a well-manicured yard. <laughs> the other thought I always have is, you think Kevin Durant and guys with money like that mow their grass? I'm like, wouldn't that be nice just to just farm all that out? They don't even think about their grass. Somebody else, anyway. Uh, maybe that's envy. Uh, forgive me, Lord, if so. But I just, there's the thoughts that come through my head um, as I'm mowing the grass. And, uh, but I'm, I'm exchanging a little bit of time for something. And we're always exchanging, um, uh, we exchange money. You know, you go over and, boy, you exchange it right now. And you don't get very many groceries, right? You, I exchanged $12 for a Big Mac meal yesterday. 12 bucks. And you say, what are you doing eating Big Macs? Well, I fell off the wagon a little bit. <laughs> and so belief um, is, is something that I can offer to God. It's really the only thing that God would look at that I have that is valuable that I can offer to God. And belief always impacts my behavior. And we always want belief to be before it. If we're not careful, we think, well, no, I come and I serve and I offer that to God. Well, if you serve with the wrong attitude and it's not done in belief, it can actually become sin. Um, that you even are justifying your life and, and your presence and your relationship with God based upon the things that you do for God. And that's self-righteousness and it's broken. And Jesus criticized the the, the people who were religious and doing the things because that's what they thought you should do to, to follow God, I think their intention probably was right, but the way they were going about it was all wrong. And the Lord, man, he just really didn't have any kind things to say to them. You whitewashed sepulchers. <laughs> I mean, you think of Jesus saying all these nice stuff. He had some things to say to some of these people that were a little bit um, challenging and so I, it's, it's important for us to realize, man, if, I, if my belief is not where it needs to be, my behavior is going to be all messed up. And so we never want to start with behavior, which is generally the big um, fall that people have, is even before they start to come to be a part of the church or, or thinking about going to church, they think, well, I need to get a few things right first. And so they're thinking behavior, then belief. And it doesn't work. It's, it's always belief. And we start with our belief. And you say, I believe if I go that the Lord is going to teach me something. 
Um, and so just constantly reinforcing that in our minds is a really important way to live because our belief will, our, our behavior will follow in the right way. It'll follow what we're believing. Now, today's passage is not one that we immediately gravitate to. You say, well, I'm going to go in the Word today, I'm going to try to read something encouraging, or I'm going to try to commit this to memory. We like to focus on the love and the grace and the mercy of God. We don't like to talk about the wrath of God, but that's what today's passage is about. And so you're already here and too late to leave. (laughs) And so Jesus, God in the flesh, this might be surprising to you, he spoke more about judgment than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus spoke more about judgment and hell than anyone else in the Bible. Probably if you combined everybody else in the Bible and how much they spoke about it, Jesus spoke more. Um, and we don't, we, don't think to, we don't think in those terms, but he actually did. And so in this passage of Scripture that Paul is writing to this letter to this church in Rome that he's wanting to go and visit, as he comes to this, this section in chapter 1, he's determined to teach that before you can understand the grace of God, you must understand the wrath of God. And so the wrath of God is really, really an important attribute of God that we need to understand. And I think that we live like, you, you know, if I said, hey, man, how many sermons in the last couple of years have you heard on the wrath of God? <laughs> uh, you know? It's not something that a church puts out on the banner in front on Metcalf. This week, the wrath of God. (laughs) That's an accelerator. Don't go there. I'm not going to that church. It's what people think. Why is that? It's because a little bit of it is because there was a time that the church was really evangelistic and and talked a lot about hell, talked a lot about judgment. Um, And it kind of got off a little bit to where you could use it as a little bit of a scare tactic. And that's not the right way to, you don't want to manipulate people with fear. But because of that, I think the pendulum has swung so far to the other side, which is what happens a lot in the church through church history, is the pendulum will kind of swing back and forth and wouldn't try to get in the middle of this thing, but, but it, it can swing back. Now all we're doing is talking about the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And that can sort of get watered down if we don't understand the wrath of God. Um, and so, like, when we look at this, um, to know God's graciousness, like, if you're really going to begin to experience the power of that, uh, you must understand man's sinfulness. And there's an essential relationship between God's righteousness and his wrath. And... It's important to note when we talk about this, one of the reasons we have a hard time with it is because we think of human wrath. We think of man's wrath. So we think of a man, maybe his, uh, you know, his daughter or son was abused by another adult and just did awful things to his children. And and the man is enraged and his wrath comes out. And he goes and, and he, he gets a hold of this person maybe before even law enforcement does. And, and maybe he beats the man to death. And we, and we can go, I can see why he would do that. 
And we see rage and wrath and uncontrolled fury coming out. And so that's what we think when we say wrath, the wrath of God is like that, but it's not. That wrath is uncontrolled. It is emotional. Um, it is vengeful. It's vengeful. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a complete, it, it's sinful. And you say, well, it may be just, but it's also sinful um, because the, even the word says vengeance belongs to the Lord. God's wrath is, it's not like that. It's not uncontrolled. It's not an outburst like a, a man or a woman would have. It just is. It just is because of his holiness, his righteousness. In order for us to have justice, and have God in all of his glory and all of his holy, for, in order for holiness to be intact and justice to take place, there must be a wrathful side to God's character. Otherwise, when people, when people do engage in things that are wicked and unholy, and we look at it, we go, well, yeah, man, like a person as evil as as Hitler is just trying to just eradicate an entire race and the awful things that were done and shipping people out to camps and having them killed, just brutal treatment. We look at that and go, should there be wrath for that? And we say, yeah. And you say, well, and then we got a liar over here and you told a lie. Should there be wrath for that? You're like, no, I don't, I don't want that wrath. But, but for justice to exist, like, and all, if there are no consequences for sin and rebellion to who God is, then we can't have this God of love. Because sometimes it is even required that there be some wrath and consequences in order for love to be displayed. And so when we talk about the wrath of God, we don't need to be thinking of God on a rampage like a man who's out of control because someone has violated his home. No. We need to think about wrath being executed, and when we see it, we would say, that is right. It is good. I'm in agreement with that. That, that's what needs to happen. So we would understand it. In all, it's a beautiful thing. And as we see it that way, then we begin to understand the righteousness and the graciousness of God more fully and what God has done in this transaction of saving us, sparing us in spite of our sin. We often talk about God saves us from our sins. No, he doesn't. He does, God forgives us of our sins and saves us from his wrath. That's what's happening. We're forgiven of sin and saved from the wrath of God. The wrath of God now has been substitutionary death of Christ on the cross of Calvary, has experienced the full weight and wrath of God on himself. And so now, instead of me deserving the wrath that I should receive, I am a, my sin is atoned for because it's fallen on, on Christ, and so I'm forgiven. And that's, that's a beautiful thing um, to think about the mercy of God in that way. And so it's important for us to recognize that. And this, teach, this passage teaches us how we end up with a culture and people that hate God. 
So we look at the culture, we go, how can the culture be so far away from God? How can a person be so lost when I feel so free in Christ? And sometimes that boy, that just really trips me up when I'm hearing things on the news or just seeing how a person's living. And I'm like, man, how... I don't understand how that's happening. Well, this, this passage helps us to understand that. Gives us a good um, explanation even for the existence of evil. Because sometimes people say, well, I, I just can't believe in God because if God existed, why would he allow evil? Why would he create evil? Evil's not created. Like, you have to understand what evil is. Evil, like you cannot have evil without good. And so evil is not something that is created. Evil is a perversion of something good. We would say a person who molested a child engaged in an evil act. Well, they took something good, a sexual experience and feelings that God has created inside of us, they perverted it, and it became evil. So any any evil you look at will be a perversion of something good. And, and, and so like, it's not like God created it. God created good and he gave man the propensity to uh, have choice in the matter. And when man chooses to depart from God, evil happens. So God doesn't create evil, but really we create it. We are the ones who produce it. And that's what this passage meant. It helps us to kind of get our minds around understanding what's happening in humanity, what's happening in our culture, what's happening in the people, uh, the lives around us, and even what can happen to us if we are not careful. Uh, Even as believers, this stuff can start to impact us if we practice the same things um, that are happening. And so belief, I've established, impacts our behavior. Unbelief impacts our behavior. And that's what Paul is going to show us as he takes us through um, these verses that, again, are not your go-to verses, all right? Buckle up. Here we go. The wrath of God, this is, is chapter 1 of Romans, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, in verse 17, where we finished up last week, it said the righteousness of God is being revealed. Now, this was written a couple of millennia ago. It says it is being revealed. A lot of times when we think about the wrath of God, we think about something that is coming, an impending judgment. That's when we see the full weight and wrath of God on display, just as we will see the full weight and righteousness and glory of God on display in the then and there, we will see the full weight and, 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 and power of God's wrath on display. But he says it's being revealed right now, just as the grace of God is being revealed, just as the righteousness of God is being revealed, the wrath of God is being revealed right now. It has been ever since the beginning of time. And how is it revealed? When the truth is suppressed, it leads to the revelation of wrath. So when truth comes out and the truth is held down, and when we talk about truth, we mean capital T, who God is, what he has done, what he has communicated to us as as a species. He says, this is who I am. This is how this whole thing works. When that is held down, more of the wrath of God is coming out. And 
ultimately, the wrath of God, you see, is separation. That's what wrath, like when we even take in terms of theological destinations of heaven and hell, um, these real places of existence, hell is a place that God, the only thing that exists there of God is wrath, is separation. The earth is not like that. Um, and so, so when we, we think in these terms, we begin to recognize that when truth is suppressed, then the, the revelation of that truth leads to wrath, or, or that truth, here it is, it's coming. Like So even, even in this sense, I might preach the gospel, or I might share a truth claim about Jesus with someone, and they hold it down, then what this is teaching is the wrath of God comes into that situation. And where I was headed just a moment ago, I kind of lost track, is that those that destination, those destinations of heaven and hell are either you have God in all of his glory and power with you, or you have God all of that absent from you. So it is a separation from all that is good and godly when we think in that terms. And so it's being revealed when truth is suppressed or held down. Not, um, it's not in its fullness, as I've described. It is a glimpse, just like it is with righteousness. We've not seen the full righteousness of God on display, but we have seen the righteousness hand of God moving in our midst. And so Paul goes on, and he says that's, that's what's happening, and it, it happens because this suppression of truth and here's how he says it happens. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, no, let me, I lost my place. Since, yeah, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is, God is saying through the Apostle Paul, he has made himself um, known to all in creation, so everyone is without excuse. Um, suppression begins by rejecting what is seen in creation. This is called natural revelation. So when we look at nature, we look at all that is around us, God is revealing to himself to us. And we see, man, there's a, the sun comes up, and it really doesn't come up, but that's how we talk about it, right? The sun comes up, and the sun goes down. You know, that happened yesterday. And I expect fully that it'll happen tonight. Uh, the tide comes in, and the tide goes out. Uh, the you know, every so often it's nice and warm and everything starts to green up. Then it gets really, really warm. Everything starts to pull back. Then everything changes colors. It looks like it's all dead. Then it gets really cold. And then what do you know? It starts getting green again. And it just keeps happening over and over. And the birds fly south. And the birds fly back north. And the flower sprouts from a seed, and it has a stem and leaves, and it shoots, and then a flower grows, and a bee comes out, 
and a bee gets what it needs from this flower, and something sticks to it, and it flies to this flower looking for what it needs, and it doesn't even know that it's pollinating the other flower that needs stuff from this flower, and they smell good, and they look good. You see, you can look at that. You can look at the animals. They Once a year, they, most of them um, are on a timetable that they begin to mate and reproduce. And they just look at all of these things. And you say, one could logically look at that and say, somebody made this thing, right? Somehow, someway, somebody put this thing together. The more that we learn, the more intricate and detailed the system seems to become and it just screams that it has a designer behind it. Uh, as we unpack that more and more, what God is saying is that when you look at all that and you say, God didn't create that, then you're holding the truth down. You're suppressing it. And so when that suppression takes place, then what we do is we set ourselves up that we're denying the natural revelation. And so there's natural revelation and there's specific revelation. What is specific revelation? It's the Word, the Bible, that God came and He gave us through prophets and prophecies and things that were we can look that, man, they, they had to, there has to be a divine hand behind them because there's no way that all that could like have the harmony that it has and then, and, and, and it teaches this incredible lesson about who we are and God. So God, through language, preserves a document over thousands of years, a collection of 66 different books lit, written by um, pagans and rich people, kings and farmers and fishermen, and they're all saying the same thing. And these prophecies that are fulfilled in the midst of it, they speak of one specific revelation that the Messiah would come, which is the second piece of specific revelation, which is Jesus. Not only does he give us the language, he comes himself in the form of Jesus Christ, and he lives among us. And he says, all of these things are true. And he dies in our stead, and he rises from the dead, and the church comes out. And I think we could look at the church when the followers of Jesus are laying down their lives for the body of Christ. Then we see even more specific revelation. So we have natural revelation in the created order. And what happens is when it is suppressed and held down, the wrath of God is revealed, and people deny the specific revelation. It's harder to receive the specific revelation if you start holding it down in the natural revelation. And so Paul says the outcome is, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Rejection of what's clearly visible produces irrational thought 
and greater confusion. And in that moment, people claim to be wise, but actually start acting foolish. And the great exchange is that people actually exchange God for images of God that look like humans, birds, reptiles, etc. They fashion God in the image of man, which is how they want God to be. Suppress what you see, that causes you to deny the specific revelation, but yet inside of you, you know you are made for a higher purpose. You know there is some kind of religion tugging at you, but you come up with one in which you can tolerate and think about all the religions of the world that use images that look like man or beast, and sometimes both. This is where this, Paul is saying, this is how you get it, man. As you hold down the truth, you suppress what you can clearly see. God has spoken to everyone through natural revelation. And when that natural revelation is held down, it makes it more difficult to um, receive the specific revelation because you are denying what God has clearly communicated in everything that he has given you that you are supposed to be a steward of and managing, you begin to worship. And God's wrath is revealed. How is it revealed? He gives people over to themselves to degrade their bodies. What is the body? We know that the New Testament teaches that um, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In that language, through specific revelation that he hammered out through time and history, he first taught that his presence dwelt the Ark of the Covenant, that they were to move around and his glory would fall on the Ark of the Covenant. But in the New Testament, where that Ark resided in the Holy of Holy Place, when Jesus said, it is finished, the veil of the temple was rent in two, and God's glory uh, had already departed the temple, but he was saying, something very important as I'm not coming into that ark anymore. I will transform the heart of man. Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord shall be saved and they will be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And now we become the ark of God. And so in that moment, if we are not careful and we deny the truth as it plays out, it shows up in the degradation of the body because sin always begets sin. The great exchange of truth for lies. Creature worship over creator worship. And because of this, Paul says, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what, not, what ought not to be done. 
They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Not going to see that on a t-shirt or bumper sticker. Wow. The result, okay, this is really, really important. The result is degradation plays itself out and sin begets sin. Taken to the extreme... Paul says it produces perverted sexuality. Now, why does he do that? Why does he point that out? Because he's saying nature teaches us that this is off. Like you only see that in humanity. You don't see it anywhere else. And so he's saying that he's not just specifically nailing this one sin. He's saying that when you take this kind of degradation and you take this God giving you over to a rational thought because you're suppressing the truth and you start inventing and believing lies, it just keeps spinning out of control. And thinking that you were wise, you start acting like a fool, but everybody else even can condone the way that you're acting and calling it intelligent when it is the most foolish thing that you could ever see in the world. He says, look, you will see it as it plays itself out. You will see it first in its most extreme way in the sexual relationship. Verse 28, he says, revelation rejected. Let's let's read this because this is so important. You, You need to understand what's happening. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. That is the wrath of God being revealed. That is is partially what we see God's wrath is pouring out. The thinking becomes screwed up so that they do what ought not to be done. And then he goes on, And he says he gives them over to this depraved mind. That is the Greek word adakamas, and it means not standing the test. It's not pure in thought. It's it's broken thought. And the result is people do what ought not to be done, and they believe a lie, then their behavior follows. You see why belief is so important? Is that once we start believing something that's broken, then our behavior will follow right in its footsteps. Sexuality is used to show the great perversion. But he lists all kinds of things. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slandering, God-haters, insolent, arrogance, boastful, inventing ways to do evil, disobeying parents, They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That covers a lot, guys. All, here's what's being taught. 
All of creation does exactly what it's designed to do. The flowers bloom, the birds migrate, the seasons change, trees grow, fruit grows, animals breed and mate and reproduce, etc., etc. It all does exactly what it's designed to do, precisely what man will not do. What is sin? It's rebelling against what God has designed you to do. People choose. Nature doesn't. I love my wife, and she loves me. And what's so beautiful about that relationship is that I have chosen to love her, and she has chosen to love me back. If she chose next week not to love me anymore, I would be crushed. My heart would be broken. If she ran off and she was gone, my world would fall apart. As I felt like the person who loved me doesn't love me anymore, and she chose to do it. And what's so special about our relationship is that we choose to love each other. Hunting season is approaching us. The rut will be in full swing come November. But right now is the easiest time of year to see a giant buck, the month of August, every year. As a matter of fact, you, it's not hard to see four or five bucks. They just sort of come out, man, and they're all together hanging out. We call them bachelor groups, and they're all together. But in a few weeks, when the days get a little bit shorter, they will shed the velvet off their antlers and they will break out of their bachelor groups, and they will start rubbing trees, and this one will claim this is his home, this one will say this is my home, and by the time we get to late October, those best of friends will be duking it out sometimes to the death over the right to breed the does. Then January will roll back around, the rut will be over, the does will be bred, and the bros will be bros again. And it'll happen all... Why, why do they do that? Because that's what they're designed to do. We don't do that. Like We make choices. We love each other in ways that the animal kingdom doesn't love like we love. There's this choice thing going on, and God has created that, and that's how evil has entered into the world, is that we either choose to believe in Christ or we choose not to believe in Christ. And as we see all of these things, to rebel against what God has created, to rebel against what God has designed us to do, then it teaches us, and here's your first takeaway, there are no excuses for rejecting Jesus. Zero. You say, well, what about this road? And what about that road? Don't you think these people that are really religious, you mean those people that have created that Buddha thing and that they're worshiping something that was created by man? You mean that? You mean that's a road that leads to the God of nature that has taught us in all of this design? Like, like, no, there's only one way to me be right with God, and that is through a relationship with the God who became a man, Jesus Christ, who gave us specific revelation and natural revelation, and he shows us how it all works together, and he's the only God who doesn't ask us to perform like a circus monkey, but comes and dies in our stead that we could be made right, and I only ask that we believe 
and then our behavior will follow. And so there are no excuses because we look and we say, well, what about the person who's never heard the gospel? They have natural revelation and probably never received specific revelation because they keep holding down the natural revelation. The choice is the freedom that we have that God has given us. You can choose to accept Christ or you can choose to reject him. Here's the second thing you need to understand. If you free yourself from Jesus, you become a slave to sin. Choose, if you choose Christ, then righteousness is revealed. If you reject Christ, then wrath is revealed. And that wrath shows itself up, not in God beating you up like an angry husband, but just giving you what you want, and you have choice. And all of a sudden, you will create an irrational thought that you can live by as you invent your own image of God, and you say, I don't need church, I don't need the Bible, I don't need it. This is how I think it all works. You become proud in the eyes of God and you don't even know God and your thought is so irrational that you have ignored all of the evidence in nature that is calling you to turn to the specific revelation that God has given you in the word and in Jesus. And things just spiral further and further out of control as you invent your own religion. If natural revelation is rejected, then specific revelation is not understood. It is attacked. And that is the world we live in. And that leads to slavery, to sin, instead of freedom in Christ. And so the final takeaway is don't suppress the truth to protect your lifestyle. That's what's happening is people suppress the truth to protect their lifestyle. People that do that in the beginning, like when we look in the world of academia and philosophy, when this thing all came out, it's when it really started to spiral out of control. And, and I don't know who it was that said that the philosophers uh, for all time, they've come up with this whole evolution and scientists and everything and all of the scientists and, and evolutionists in the world um, has scaled the mountain to only find as they look over the hill a group of theologians laughing who knew the answer all the time is that man it's so broken and 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 it's all designed to get us in this position to where we don't want God. Now, now, so we have to understand that as we're ministering to people, their thought is really broken. Their thought process is irrational. It is, it is spun out of control. And so we don't try to beat them over the head and we don't even make serious judgments about them. We just understand what it is. And we've had the grace of God, Paul says, there go I. I, the Lord has spared me from that. And I understand his grace. And the more that I understand, saying his wrath is all about being separated and having a depraved mind. And ultimately, if I don't repent of my sin and turn to Christ, then I will end up with exactly what I wanted all along. And that is nothing to do with God. God doesn't send people to hell. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, all who are there chose it. To suppress the truth is to try to protect your lifestyle. And so um, what we have to understand is that when we try to protect the life that we're act after, we actually end up losing it. 
Jesus said, lose your life and you'll find it. If you keep trying to search for your life, you'll never find it. And so we were trying to search for it by holding down the truth. Now, I've sort of taken the times because this is what this scripture does, is it's showing us how messed up the Gentile population is and how in need they are of the gospel. And that's all Paul is doing because he's going to take us on this journey where he's, he's trying to show us, man, this is what the Lord has done in your life. He's trying to get us to think and see what God has done. And so this thing gets incredibly beautiful. But, but as we take that journey, we need to understand, okay, this is what happens in an unbelieving world. But we also have to understand that a lot of that culture creeps in and begins to influence us. And even though we know Christ as Savior and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we've called upon his name, if we are not careful, we will hold the truth down in our lives to protect something that is precious to us. And that is damaging. And so what do we do? We need to expose ourselves to the truth. We're good at exposing ourselves to the word of God and letting it fall on us. And that's what I would encourage you to do is be one who is, how do you get your behavior to follow your belief or, or your belief to follow your, yeah, your behavior to follow your belief? You believe this. You believe in the natural revelation. You believe in the specific revelation. You let the specific revelation begin to fall on your mind. Paul will teach us in Romans chapter 12 that we are being transformed by the renewal of our minds. And so we are exposing ourselves to truth. And as we expose ourselves to truth, we begin to see and believe that Christ wants me to step into obedience in this particular area of my life and that he will give me more freedom by drawing me closer to himself and revealing a greater level of righteousness that I did not understand about what is happening inside of me, which will create the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, um, uh, 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 understanding and kindness. And all of a sudden, man, I'm starting to be nice to people and things are coming out of my mouth that I didn't used to think about being nice. I'm not trying to be nice. I just am nice. Why? Because I believe in Christ. We got too many Christians who are trying to do things for Jesus, and Jesus said, I'm going to change you into something else so that you can be all that you're designed to be. And so how do we do that? We're going to expose ourselves. So when, you, when somebody asks you this week, what did you learn at church? Say, the preacher told me how to expose myself. Right? To what? The truth, man. And don't be afraid of the truth and embrace the truth. And when you feel conviction, don't be afraid of it. Say, the Lord is trying to show me something so that my thinking is not depraved. He doesn't want to give me over. I'm a child of his. He's working in my life. He wants to show me something that's going to bring about greater freedom. And then all of a sudden, I start walking and following after, hard after Jesus. And people are taking a look at my life and they're going, man, there's something different about this person. And it has nothing to do with any kind of religion. They just live different. They treat me different. They act different. They smile different. They have something deep inside of them that is missing in my life. And I know that it's missing because I look around and I see that it's missing in a lot of other people's lives as they yearn for attention and affection in all of these broken ways. And I need that. And I want that. And it starts to speak to them and the Lord brings it to you. And all of a sudden you become some specific revelation in an unbeliever's life. And for the joy of the Lord, you share the gospel with them. And there's more rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who repents of his sins and says to Jesus, I'm sorry. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
It doesn't mean that you just go to church, man. It means that you're following Jesus. And that brings us to the big idea. If you turn to Jesus, you get relationship. If you reject Jesus, you get wrath every time. Every time. Even as a believer, you will still experience the wrath of God revealed in your life if you walk in disobedience because the Lord chastens those whom are his. Wrath and righteousness are being revealed. That is the great exchange. Don't exchange your life for a lie. And this has helped me really a lot. As I look at the world and I go, man, how could it be so broken? You know, two kids shot down in Kansas City yesterday. Said they found their bodies just laying in the service station parking lot. So how does that, what is going on? When the wrath of God is revealed and it perpetuates itself, God just gives a person over to what they desire as they reject him, then sin begets sin. And we end up with a world system that doesn't know Christ. And it influences people in the world. As babies are born and they grow up in this system, they're shaped and they're mentored by people that are educators and, and, and coaches and all kinds of things, and they're growing up in this world system. And if those people are people, not necessarily evil, that we would say, oh, there's so much evil in their life, they're just depraved in their thinking and their thought is irrational, then this world system grows and it starts to shape the culture. And we look at that and we go, golly, man, what are we going to do? You know, vote Republican. That's not going to do it. Vote Democrat. Get this. No. The righteousness of Christ is being revealed. And every time a person lets that righteousness out of their lives and they begin to understand what it is that the gospel has done to them and they begin to understand how desperately wicked they were and how far, far apart from Christ they were and the gospel touches their life and they begin for the joy of the Lord to understand their salvation. They repent of their sin and a, a son of God is born and the body of Christ grows and the church is there inside this broken world and it is most, more specific evidence that God uses us to love this broken system and call to this broken system and say to this broken system, you were designed for so much more. And that's what we are. We are the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus to go out into this broken system and love it with the good news of the gospel. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are overwhelmed by your goodness. We are aware of your wrath. We recognize, Jesus, that you're touching our lives with the gospel 
And our belief in you is what has spared us from that. And we recognize, Jesus, that we are in a war. That the church is the hope of the world. So, Lord, we pray that you would set us on fire. Let your glory fall on OPCC and the people who are a part of this fellowship like the fire fell on Solomon in the temple when he constructed it for you. Let us walk in the power and demonstration of the Spirit as we go to work this week, as we go to Little League, Lord, as we interact with our neighbors, as we touch people all around us. Let us go in the power and demonstration of the Spirit and may, Lord, we engage the battle of depravity and rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Let us recognize, Lord, that we do not need to be afraid to expose ourselves to truth. Let our kids, Lord, open up to the truth of the gospel, that the brokenness of the world won't invade their mind and deprave their thinking. Let us, Lord, be hungry for righteousness more than we are hungry, Lord, for attention. Let us be hungry for the truth, Lord. Lord, we want to see you move. We want to see something that we must admit it is the hand of the Lord. And the only way it can happen, Jesus, is if we believe. And so we profess our belief in you today. And we call on you to help us to be what you've made us. And we ask it in Christ's name. And amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.